0: AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. I'm
1: a house in the
2: middle. We're back, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Park, our financial expert, and Stephen Ebert, our legal expert, and myself, I consider my real estate expert. And right before the news, we were talking about second homes, how we see that as a trend going forward, that people are going to want to have a second home that they can drive to and so that they can go at any time. And again, with being able to work, you know, a lot of jobs you can work, in, you can work in your office, but maybe not as many days. Um, Ace, is there anything people have to know that they should be doing if they're looking for a second home? Like, how's the financing go on that? Now, assuming that you have a home that's your primary residence, and now you're going to buy a second home. Is, is the financing different on that, or what do people have to know about that? Should they speak to you first before they get involved looking for a second home? Are there different rules for that? Could you give us some tips on that? Since I think that's going to be a trend that continues.
3: Yeah, that's 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 a great question too, Dottie. A lot of people um, seem to not know that this, the you know second homes is probably the best kept secret because the banks consider it a primary home as well. So you're getting the best rate when you're when you're actually purchasing a second home as opposed to an investment property where the rates are a little bit higher, right? So banks will give you the, the pristine rates that you would get, just as if you were buying a primary home, because they, they still consider it a primary home. However, because it's a second home and there's no, um, I guess you would call it revenue that, you're, that you'll be taking in on the home because you're, you're going to be staying there as well, you have to qualify for not only the second home, but also your primary, primary home, wherever that is. So as long as you can qualify for both properties, with your income, you'll get the best rate, Dottie. And the down payment is still the same as a primary. So you can put as little as 10% down or 20% down. You don't need to put such a heavy down payment as well. But the only thing, the only caveat to that is that if you do buy a second home, just make sure that you can qualify for the one that you're buying and for the current home that you're living in, right, as your primary. So, but it's probably the best kept secret because rates are are going to be the best rates.
2: Um, so, in other words, when you buy an investment property, you're going to pay a higher interest rate. You're saying when you buy a second home, they're not going to charge you a higher interest rate?
3: Not at all. They'll consider it your primary home, which is you know, pretty okay. much um, the best rate that you can get in the marketplace. So.
2: so, Ace, would you suggest? Because I really think it's so important. Things are competitive. And when you start looking for homes, all of a sudden you're going to find something. And when you find something, you don't want to first then kind of try to figure out whether you can afford it, whether you can get a mortgage. And if you're a seller, like I said, prices and everything, you want to make sure that that person qualifies. So would you suggest that they call citizens or call you or 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 just go through their finances as far as to know what they can afford in a second home?
3: Yeah, I would say, Dottie, that goes to anything, right? Whether you're buying a second home, investment property, primary you know, speak to a loan officer, contact someone like myself or contact Citizens Bank, get pre-approved, right? And th- that way, you'll you'll know exactly how much you can afford. And when you see the realtor, you can tell them, hey, you know, I've, I've already been pre-approved. This is my budget. And now you guys can really focus in on the property of your, of, of your dreams. You know, because a lot of times, Donnie, people will go and speak to a realtor first. And they're looking at homes Either under their price range or above their price range, right? So you know you'll be surprised with the low rate today, how much further your money goes. Oh, so I you know I don't think people always, have any
2: idea. I I, I really don't. Funny, but I yeah, do think it. so, that it's so important and by the way, buyers and sellers, if you had two offers, let's just say, and let's just say the property was listed at seven fifty and you have an offer at seven forty and then an offer at seven forty eight. Well, I'm always gonna look at their credit, okay, and I'm gonna look that they're qualified. And if the broker tells you and the person says, Listen, I have been pre qualified, meaning I've gone to a bank, they've checked my credit, they've approved me for a loan at this amount, so I know I can get a mortgage The only thing that's left for the bank to do is to make sure your house is selling for the right price. So if there's a toss-up between two buyers, if you're a seller, you're always going to want to take the person that's pre-qualified. So if you're a buyer, to do this gives you an edge when you're negotiating with someone because, hey, why would you take a person that has never been pre-qualified, that doesn't really know if they can get a mortgage, doesn't know if their credit's good – when you can get someone that's been pre-qualified, knows that they can get a mortgage, and the only thing that's left to do is them to do an appraisal on your house. So it's a great negotiating tool to have for a buyer, um, and many times it will win you the bid. And if you're a seller, it's certainly something that you want to make sure you know before you take somebody and tie yourself up. So I think that's really important to know. Now, Stephen. I have a question for you. I read this article, and it said, this will be a battle. A landlord's... This will be a battle. Landlords prepare for property tax fights as values slide. And it basically says, to just sum it up, owners of New York City real estate, whose taxes make up a sizable portion of the city's revenue, are gearing up for a possible fight with the tax commission next year as as, as that impact of the pandemic continues to wreak havoc on the local economy. And it says that real
4: estate-related
2: taxes make up 53%, 53% of total New York City tax revenue. And um, with many property owners now dealing with commercial and residential vacancy, low leasing volume, and tenants unable to pay their bills. Some landlords say the ability to meet their tax obligation has been impaired. Um, So they're looking to fight. Many think they're going to have a very hard fight, and they have to take many matters in front of the judge and go to trial. Uh, So what what are you thinking about that?
4: I, I think it's a great point, and I think it will be a massive fight because there is a lot of money on the line a lot of money on the line for New York City, and the budget is going to be a lot of money on the line for property owners. Here's how it works in New York City. The, ta- the property tax year is a fiscal year, July 1 through June 30th of each year. The city notifies the property, ta- the, the property owners at the by, in January what the new tax is there going to be come July 1. And then the property owners have a window to fight. Now, this is very important. If you can settle on some new in-between number, and there's going to be a lot of conversations on this, then if there's an agreement, you pay that new amount come July 1. If right. there is not agreement, the taxpayer has the right to bring a litigation. But and here's the catch. down.
2: Explain that to me again. So if you have spoken to your landlord, and have an agreement? Well,
4: no, no. no, not, no we're talking about property owners in the city.
2: Right. Okay. We're so, talking,
4: so, so we're talking about – so what happens is, again, New York City is going to no, notify property owners in January okay. what the new property taxes on their property is going to be come July 1. Then, if you want to fight it, there's two ways it can go. One – If you're able to reach an agreement on time, then you'll get that reduced number come July 1. But there's a catch. What if you don't agree? What if you say the valuation is absurd? You can litigate it. But here is the catch. And this is where the city has the upper hand. If you want to litigate, then what happens is to be considered being paid on time. You have to pay the new rate that the city establishes come July 1. And then if you win the litigation, you'll get a refund. But if you, even if you think you're going to win, if you don't pay on time, and especially if you lose, you'll be hit with penalties. So there is an incentive to try to negotiate some compromise because the city has the upper hand because if you're litigating, you still have to pay the higher rate and get a refund.
2: So, Stephen, so, who would you negotiate with? Like, how would you go well, about Well, you're
4: negotiating with, with, with New York City, with the with the finance department, with the assessment. That That's what's happening. So um, is that something
2: and, that your law firm would help do? I mean,
4: that that is a real subspecialty of an area. We generally, we, we do a lot of tax work. We generally don't focus in on that. There tends to be just a couple of subspecials. The couple of firms that do it, they generally, that's like the only thing they do. Pretty much, um, but we can help people with that and help guide them and then get them in touch with the right referral on that um, because it is very specialized. Um, and, it, and the thing that's really makes it a little tough, there's two other factors. Number one, the way those attorneys get paid, a lot of it is usually based on the, a percentage of what's saved on the taxes. So these are, these are big numbers all around. The other thing that's also really important and very, very tricky is what does this mean for commercial leases because a lot of time commercial leases have the tenants pay the rent escalation so what's interesting is there will be a very big difference based on the amount of rental occupancy i believe in and, and how aggressive some of the landlords are going to be um, so that's another factor that's going to play into the equation buildings that are more leased up with good paying tenants versus buildings that are vacant, they, there might be and there should be a discussion on slightly different strategies because the cost and who bears that cost, landlord or tenant, makes a difference. So there, it is going to be a very busy spring in well, fighting tax Well,
2: basically I'm reading that overall the city is preparing for $13.5 billion budget shortfall over the next two years. And both the city and state are being hit with a $1.4 billion tax revenue loss. Um, so. Okay,
5: well, well i, I got to make a comment on this. And, 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 I, I'm, and
2: I'm kind of looking at, I mean, and this is just me. Okay, so now I'm looking at that. Okay, then I'm looking at um, Governor Cuomo, which obviously I think I've said this, my opinion is yes it's really good to give help to people who've lost their jobs during the pandemic and tell them they don't have to pay rent. And now I think it's until January. However, what about the landlords? Okay, they got no subsidy, no help. So if you're a landlord and your tenants have not paid rent for six months, and then January comes and the governor says, by the way, we didn't forgive your rents, we just said you don't have to pay them, and they're not necessarily, ace correct me if I'm wrong, they're not necessarily putting them at the end of the payments. Well, then, if the landlord says, okay, now you have to pay me the money, and the tenant says, well, yeah, but I don't have it, well, well, which I think is going to be a lot of the case, I mean, what are you going to be stuck in court for years? I mean, how is this going to work? It seems like we're heading for disaster. Like, I think well, that policy— can I can I add one gonna,
4: more disaster yeah, on like top I of the of disasters that you mentioned? Um, what has been the policy of the of Blasio and Cuomo, and they said this publicly, is that they were waiting for the outcome of the election, that they were hoping for a Biden victory— And then basically, they're going to put their hand out. And the position that Cuomo said publicly at a press conference about a month ago is that we feel that the federal government should have blocked COVID-positive individuals that came in through Europe, and New York bore the brunt of it. Therefore, since the federal government allowed them in causing the problem, Therefore, the federal government should issue a massive ballot to New York. That—that—that that, that is what the governor said publicly. Okay,
2: and, and, and in and, saying that, and again, as you know, on our show, we oh, don't want any of you to hate us. We are it's not, not, this is not political This stance. is not a
4: matter of pro- or no, politicians. just saying we're just reporting
2: sure. the way it is, that we're not advocating one or the other. But what I am we're, saying is if, that... All along, there was a fight, because if you remember, and I watched Cuomo every day in New York. He came on, talked, and told everybody what was going on. And he was begging the president at the time to subsidize and help out New York with federal funds. And That's exactly where basically- I was
4: going, Dottie. That's exactly The point is, the strategy that they have is basically, and I and I think this is— it's a it's a it's a it's a game of chicken a little bit a game of brinksmanship where basically they're saying we have this mess and we are attributing part of it to the federal government therefore we are expecting at least partially solving the problem from the federal government so so just finishing that that thought is when you think about when New York City dictates what the property valuation is in the new tax bill it's going to be in January. And when you look at when the president gets inaugurated January 20th, late January is going to be a very, very interesting time because there is going to be a lot of negotiating going on. And that that was my point to make, um, that there's a, a whole bunch of, you know, trains are pulling into the station at the same time and a lot of big decisions. And there's going to be a balancing act about who's paying the bill and how they're spreading the bill around.
2: I think uh, okay. January so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this to Ace and 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 myself and you. Okay. And again, if you go back to the initial argument that the president had, going back to when Cuomo was begging for federal funds to help out New York, and I think Jersey, I think they they needed the same thing. The president basically said, guys you were broke before the pandemic okay and we'll help you with you know some of the um, hardships you'd have because of the pandemic but we're not going to bail you out of what you mismanaged and and I'm not saying this is correct or not but that's basically was the argument we're not going to bail you out of and let the taxpayers across the United States of America have to pay for states that didn't manage their money properly, because New York was not in good shape before the pandemic. So now, okay, basically there's going to be a fight that the federal government should help out New York and states like that. I think Jersey's one of them. And there's no way of knowing how this is going to end up, correct? I mean, how—I mean, I just know that it could be tied up in court for, I mean— I just am looking for – I'm just looking for a kind of a uh, – in other words, if they bail out New York and they give them that money, then who pays that? The tax – I mean, who who pays all that money?
4: Well, well the, the country does. I mean, the country ultimately does. You're basically making like an insurance argument. Let's spread out the cost amongst the whole raft of people. And, and right. it's going to be a very, very tough negotiation because the reality is the Senate – is going to be probably 51-49 Republican, but very close. The Republicans gained seats in the House of Representatives, but the Democrats still the majority, so that's also getting very close to parity. Um, and so you have a very fairly evenly divided, you know, like legislature, and so there's going to be, I think, a lot of negotiating that's going to have to happen.
2: I would agree with you, but what I'm saying is let's just say that you live in a state, I don't know what state, that's fiscally okay and is not. You're going to say, well, why don't we, you know, why are we supposed to help out New York and New Jersey and all the states that are in trouble? That's their problem. So, because basically the people that are going to pay that extra money are just people from all the other states. And so I, I, I kind of think we're in for, like you said, um, <laughs> a, a lot of negotiations. And I think so many people right now, and one of the things I'd love to talk about going forward, and again, nobody has a crystal ball, so no one knows exactly what's going to happen. But people are trying to make decisions. Is New York going to come back? Is this going to happen? And I just see a whole lot of litigation coming up. I mean, even with all these people that didn't pay their rent, what happens if they still don't have it? I mean, let me leave you with that quick If you haven't paid your rent in January and you still can't pay it. Then what? We'll answer that question after the break. Okay, well, you're listening to I Am Real Estate, and it's just a very interesting time. And a lot of things to think about.
1: Connecting you with new customers.
6: My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. The Army National Guard has taught me the value of showing respect to those I come in contact with each day. My service also allows me to be there for my community in ways others can't. I help my hometown recover after nature strikes. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country and those I care about safe from threats. I also work with a network of professionals that help me succeed and accomplish the mission. Plus, the Army National Guard education benefits make getting a higher education a reality. Being an Army National Guard soldier makes living and serving in my community more rewarding every day. Learn how you, too, can live and serve part-time, close to home, by visiting NationalGuard.com.
0: Sponsored by the New Jersey Army National Guard. Aired by the New Jersey Broadcasters Association and this station. It's I on real estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman.
2: Okay, we're in the process of talking about a very... Interesting coming up. And basically for the states that are in bad shape, some of it's due to the virus, obviously. Uh some of it's due to the stuff that they're that they're that, they're, that they're, the, the states were kind of in bad shape before the virus. And obviously uh players, real estate players are putting their hopes on a federal bailout, which means that the federal government comes in and bails out these states. Um, And as Stephen's saying, that's going to be like, (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, okay, you have that going on. Then you're going to have all the people that did not pay their rents because the governor allowed you to put it off until January. And now January comes, and it's due. And you say, well, I don't have the money. Then, I mean, the courts to me will be like, you'll you'll be in court for five. I mean, how is this all going to... I just well, kind of think that...
4: I, I hate I hate to be cynical. People
2: acted, in, and people, I, I think, did in the best interest, they acted to try to find a solution to help people out right away. But I'm not sure if they really thought it through well. Because I see... When I say a disaster, I don't mean a disaster. I just see, like, litigation of the kazoo. Well,
4: so I, I, I see a lot of cynicism going on. We, we, again, on the federal level, very contested election, a fairly e- close to even divided government. You know, obviously there's a few things pending. We have, obviously, right. election contests so pending. And then we got to keep in mind, New York City which is a very strong mayor-controlled right? versus the city council. The mayor has a lot more power um, compared to, let's say, the president versus the Congress. That election, the primaries just started. We have about a dozen people that have declared on the Democratic side. Um, I think there's going to be two, it seems, candidates on the Republican side for the primaries. There's going to be a lot of negotiation, I hate to say, with interest groups to see who is going to address these issues. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of conversations happening. Um, it's going to start, I think, in January, and it's going to run for six to eight months afterwards, uh, depending upon how things turn out in the primaries and um, the local level. And it's going to be some power brokering. That, that is really the key so, thing to so. watch.
2: So let me ask you, uh, Ace, chip in on this, because there's really no right answer. I'm just, okay, it's going to take a while to work this all out. However, obviously, what happens, and I I don't think that will happen. I think there will be some kind of a bailout federally. I just feel that's got to happen. But what if it didn't? Then what would happen?
6: Hello?
3: Hello, hi. Can you guys hear me?
2: Yeah, like, what are you thinking? Okay. I mean, there's a lot going on, and I don't think that most people really realize the stakes that are at. I mean, I don't know how they're going to work all this out. There's going to be so much to work out. And, and again, depending on the federal government, if they give a bailout. But then other states that have been fiscally, you know, there's states that have have good budgets and they're, they're like, why should we have to pay for the states that didn't that didn't do the right job or that didn't manage this stuff? Okay, now we did get hit harder in New York than most states. However, if you look at where New York was prior to the pandemic, it wasn't in the greatest shape as it is. The mayor has what a year and a half left.
3: Yeah, Dottie, and, and I doubt it. And what about that? Anything. Yeah, from 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 my vantage point or my my viewpoint. there's there's always been talks about a national shutdown, right? If you look at countries, they don't just close down different states. They close down the whole country. And, you know, there's a a saying in in our country, you know, that that freedom of speech and and their rights and all of that. So a lot of people may not follow suit with a national shutdown. And I think, you know, Stephen mentioned it before, you know, whatever stimulus package program ultimately gets approved, I think, the whole country is going to share in that cost, right? So whether it's coming a lot from New York or not, or from Florida or from other states, um, I think because we haven't been able to do a national shutdown, unfortunately, every single state will have to share in some somewhat of the socialized costs that is going to go into the stimulus, stimulus package program. But, I mean, look, you mentioned, you know, what's going to happen. I think we need to, you know, hopefully the, the news about the whole vaccination and, and still needs to go through trial and, and and whatnot, but they're saying it's 90%. But who knows where, where we are with that. But it does seem positive as more companies and more pharmaceutical companies are coming out with hopefully a solution for um, COVID-19. But I, I, but I think until then, we really need to come together as a country and either decide, you know, instead of doing a state-by-state lockdown, I, I really think... If we don't want to have an economic loss, you know, going into the future even further, we need some sort of national shutdown until we can control the virus during the winter months. And um,
2: Ace, when you say you know, a national shutdown, okay, what, what what are you saying exactly? In other I'm, words, I know they've uh, done this state by yeah. state, so kind of everybody's on their own agenda. Okay, because you're saying travel. that...
3: Yeah, yeah, just, I, I'm saying a national shutdown, meaning if we want to do a 30-day just total shutdown right curfew all of that because what happens is let's say new york does a total shutdown right other other people in other states are still coming into new york new york is such a transient state that people come here to like either and they and they can drive in right so i think the reason why new york has such a huge um, number is because so many people come and visit new york even even during the pandemic you know kids are coming down they're going back to where they came from i mean there's there's a lot of things going on that we don't necessarily see.
2: Well, um, listen, you, I won't say where I go. live, but I will tell you this much. I live in a it's half condo and half hotel, okay? So, when I would go back to the city and I would see people sign you know, the people staying at the hotel part because there are condos that people live in and then there's a hotel. The people going into the hotel sign a paper that basically says that they are going to, uh, they're not going to go out. They're going to, you know, socially distance, and they're not going to go out. They're going to stay in for 14 days. And I'm like, that's BS. You don't go and come to the city for 14 days and pay for a hotel room so you could sit in it for 14 days. So I don't believe that. Okay, I believe that they signed that paper, but I'm not sure anybody's really tracking them. Then I, as, as, so and then I, you know, I, you know, and I, and I think that now you look at Florida and you see Florida is like whatever you want, whatever goes goes, right? I mean, you could, you could go to a bar, you could have, to, you know, you don't have to. There's no rules there, and these people are going back and forth, so I don't really know how it. it I don't know how that it would work when you can, like you said, when you could just drive to another state. <laughs> and if New York doesn't get a bailout, and I do think New York needs a bailout, and I'm not, I'm not picking on New York. I think there's a bunch of states that need bailouts. I think the only way, you, you know, what, what you're saying is probably correct, that the whole country is going to have to come together and say, listen, we can we can say, look, it's not our fault, so we shouldn't have to pay anything. But if you don't all chip in and kind of make this work, it's just going to screw up the whole country.
3: Yeah, I, and that's, that's my whole point, Dottie, which is if we just came together as a nation, just did a national lockdown. I'm not talking about three months, maybe for a month or two. And um, hopefully we can we can fight it. We can win, you know. Because All right, we've so let seen me other-
2: ask you a question. I mean, does this make any sense to you? I'm, and I'm just questioning it. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Okay. So now the city goes into effect where restaurants can only be open till ten o'clock rather than eleven. Correct?
3: Yep. It's already into effect as of yesterday.
2: Okay. So now you have a restaurant. Ace. Now let me ask you something. How how does shutting your restaurant at ten Really help anything, opposed to 11. I I don't even understand what what I don't even. I'm not even sure how that. Like I I say, am I missing something? How does that help it? How does that help anything? That just makes the restaurant owner get less revenue, which some of them are hanging on by you know a thread as it is, and if it was helping people be safer i might understand it but i don't i don't see how that is unless i'm missing something maybe you could help yeah,
3: no you're right you're right you know some of the uh some of the policies that have come forth with you know in in terms of restaurants um a lot of it is just um it's 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 a challenge right we're going to see if we do go back and they do eliminate uh restaurants all in itself which is still on the table um, to see if they'll do, uh, if, if they're gonna uh, do any policies on in dining, you're, you're, we're gonna see a huge number of restaurants. Um, you know, really nice. not come back from it the, if there's another wave of just closing down restaurants and closing down curfew. But I think if 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 we really wanna um, control the virus and really subside the numbers, there's got to be something that's drastic, a little bit more drastic than what we're doing state by state. Dottie, I I, I truly believe that because we're never gonna get to places where other countries are at because, we, you know, we, we don't have consistency across uh, different states and borders, you know? But that's, that's my opinion. Not to say that it's the right opinion, but that's So what, what that's should
2: people, and then we have a break, but just for the second after the break, I just like to give people food for thought of, because you, you, you kind of, when you read stuff, it doesn't really clearly explain it to you. What should people be thinking about going forward so that they can play a more active part in having opinions i I, i'm not sure if the paper really relates it the way it really is happening because it is a dilemma and we should try to come up with a solution before the last minute
7: balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule changing the world one life at a time
4: The product that you have given me here is, as far as I'm concerned, sent to me from heaven. My immune system has got to be at a top-notch level. I don't seem to get colds or anything.
6: I love Balance of Nature. I have great energy, and I think Balance of Nature is the best complete nutrition product that anybody could take. It's a wonderful product. I highly recommend it.
4: I've been taking vitamins off and on my whole adult life, and I've never seen any change, not like this, not since I've been on Balance of Nature. I mean, I'm over 50, and, you know, your body starts wearing down. But Balance of Nature has literally changed my life. It really has.
2: I had begun to notice after 10 days with Balance of Nature. I felt better, more energetic, and believe me, for me, that's something, because I have energy anyway. But I just felt a difference with
7: this. We've all heard it, eat healthy. But what does eating healthy mean? Sure, there are countless diets out there, but they contradict each other. Yet all experts agree, we should eat a diet rich in fruits and vegetables. Whole fruits and vegetables are the perfect fuel to power the cells in your body, giving you the stamina you need to handle your day-to-day activities. And that's what balance of nature is. Whole fruits and vegetables delivered to you in a convenient capsule form for only 22 cents a serving. Our proprietary blend has no additives or fillers, just the full nutritional value of a variety of 31 different fruits and vegetables. Balance of Nature provides you with a natural energy boost without a caffeine crash, a 3 o'clock slump, or an early bedtime. Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself by going to balanceofnature.com or by calling 1-800-2468-751 and use discount code The Answer.
8: Hey, it's Joe Piscopo. You've heard me talk about my pillow and how I love Mike Lindell and how my pillow literally changed my life. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want. They maintain their shape and they are made in the USA. Now is the time to buy. You're getting the lowest price ever. Get a standard queen premium pillow for 29.98, regularly 69.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more. Mike is also extending a 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st. Go to mypillow.com click on the radio listeners square and use promo code am970 there you'll find this amazing offer also deep discounts on all my pillow products including the giza dream bed sheets the my pillow mattress topper my pillow towel sets they make the best christmas gifts ever 800-651-0798 800-651-0798 promo code am970
0: It's I on real estate. Got a question? Call 866 970 9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO Dottie Herman.
2: Okay, we're back, and in the final 10 minutes we have, or whatever we have left of the show, um, again, there is no answer that's right, wrong, or different. but we're bringing up some possible dilemmas that i see us facing as a nation as a state and i'm just curious to think i think ace you think we kind of all have to kind of get together and i don't think it should be the last minute i think we should be talking about it now um on how how we help out the states that need to be helped out because um if you don't have federal bailouts of some states i i, I really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and you know now you're saying Ace, possibly to have one shutdown that is universal. That's your thoughts.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm recommending.
2: <laughs> and, As, and, uh, and, and, and how would you feel that that helps?
3: I just think you know if, if everybody's consistently um, having the same policies in place, you know, um, then then basically, if nobody can actually interact with each other besides essential workers then it'll bring down the rate of um, just infection or, or just spread the spread of the virus tremendously, right, so that nobody's traveling interstate or, or anything like that where there's a more stricter policy in a certain state.
2: Well, and like in, I said, eight. A, I see policy. where yeah. I live. These people yeah. are not coming to New York to stay in a hotel and pay a fortune so that they could isolate themselves for 14 days. So they're full of it. They sign those papers and they go out.
3: And they're and, going out.
2: And they're going out, okay? The and then I see, okay, so you want to shut the restaurant on 10 versus 11. Okay, well, how does that help the infection rate? I, I, I'm really not sure that that, that – I mean, I, unless I'm missing something. Steve, I don't know what your – Steve, I don't know what your opinion is, but this
4: – Yeah, what do you think, Steve? Well, well, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the point that Ace is making. I have a little bit of a disagreement. I, I, I think – We are a federalist country, and the states have to take the lead. And one of the things that's making us more, I would say, successful on some things is that exactly states take a different approach. We're seeing different infection rates, which is not fully tied into people traveling. Um, And we're seeing, and so I, I think what we're learning about this it's not just about lockdown versus not lockdown. It's, it's I think, a smart lockdown. There's certain types of environments, like gyms, for example, where they see a greater likelihood of spreading. So I think we need to really have a fine-tuned approach. And by having states having different standards, I think that's very, very helpful. Um, so, and I think that's important. Well,
2: you you think it's helpful. So, I'm just curious. Think, Do think you think, like, that Florida I'm, says you can have 25 million people at the gym. It doesn't matter. Like,
4: Well, no, I mean, no. But then I'll, the
2: people I'll, from Florida are coming to New York. And all I can tell you is right before the lockdown, like in January, I was having dinner at a restaurant in New York City. And I was waiting for a table. And there was a couple. They were waiting for a table with me. And the girl said to me, we were talking about the virus, but it really hadn't hit us in a big way yet. And she said, well, I have a friend who's a doctor from Italy. She said, and let me show you what he wrote to me. And she showed me on her iPhone, and it said, if you don't want to end up like Italy, and if you go back, Italy was hit way before New York in a bad way, you need to have martial law, which means you have to do what the government tells you to do. And if you don't, you'll go to jail or you'll get out of every fine. She said, you need to have martial law. We don't have martial law. So, Thank goodness and, you know not uh, saying uh, that we should, but if everyone can do whatever they want, then they can cross the borders. I mean, I think far was even considering making non essential traveling to some of these states. He's even got that on the table, and I'm not sure there's a, an answer like I'm not sitting here telling you I have the answer i just I just kind of see a big mess coming up
4: and, but but, but uh, i got, i got I got into a few things, you know. This is a little bit about, I'm not saying not to be smart. I'm not saying don't wear a mask and do smart things. And maybe we should make decisions to not go to certain types of venues. But do we really want to live in a country where we have one person, whether it's a governor or president, for an extended period of time saying you can or cannot do that? there is a cost, there is a real cost, and it's changing the nature of this country, and that's a really important point, you know, to keep in mind. Um, The success of this country has been the marketplace, it has been different places doing different things, and then figuring it out and seeing what works and what doesn't work, and do, yes, people need to be smart? Absolutely, but We're talking about, I mean, the idea of extending martial law, you know, know, they were talking about in Italy. We're not talking about one day when then maybe, let's say, that there's a riot or, or a massive earthquake and things need to get organized. This has been going on now for nine months, and we need to figure out how we want to end up when this is done, because this will be over at some point. And... We need to figure out what kind of country we want to be when we get out of this and how we deal with it right now is critical. And the other point that I really do want to stress, there are a lot of people who have died because of the shutdown, not directly because of COVID, but because of COVID. People not going to doctors for preventive health visits, people having people having real Mental issues because they're basically like in prison in, the, in their homes. You know, people not seeing family, um, senior citizens um, lack. You know, not having the necessary care, or, or just even people not even able to go to a funeral. I don't have the precise answer on it, but I do think if, if I had to draw the line of where it has to be, I'd rather err on the side of letting people be educated and make smart decisions. Than being ruled by fiat from afar. Um, and that's my fear. We're going to get into a, a, a society which we're getting used to being dictated to, which is not healthy in its own right.
2: No, I hear your point, and I don't, I don't, certainly I don't have the answer. But I just see, even with my hip surgery, I was supposed to have it in March. Then we got shut down. And the surgery was considered a non-essential surgery. And I, I just want to yell out a special thanks to the Hospital of Special Surgery. They were ace. I mean, I, you couldn't ask for any better experience if you have to be in a hospital. However, I was not allowed to go in with anybody. I was not allowed to have ever anyone there. I was not even allowed, they were so careful, to bring in a luggage that had wheels because they felt the wheels could drag on the floor and bring diseases in. And if it wasn't, okay, and they're very careful because during the lockdown, they had patients that had COVID. They had to put them in all the hospitals. And they said to me in the hospital, they – really don't know how long it lasts in the air, okay? I mean, and the six-foot social distancing, that's the number that they used. So there's so many uncertainties, and I'm wondering, you know, I love to do this, but I'm wondering if there could be, like, without people getting hostile towards each other where they're disagreeing, where people could kind of come together and try to, like, work out something that works for the country. Because I do think that doing it individually, yes, you're giving the states the freedom. But in states, in certain states, even within the state, there's differences. But as long as you don't do it universally, then people are just still traveling back and forth. And so... If you have a if you have a lockdown in New York, but you can come in from Florida and you don't have a lockdown there, how does that? All, I I don't have the answer, but I think I would love to see us all have a really productive conversation because I think when you listen to the media, and I do, I, mean, I listen to every single different station, and I feel like I'm listening to a completely different story. But what I think is no one's really coming together. People are kind of fighting for their cause. And I don't think anyone's really stepping back at this point to say, okay, what's the best thing to do for our country? And that might mean that a state that has been healthier and has done a better job of containing the virus maybe has to chip in some extra money. But if we don't really get together as a country and if we don't, Take all the BS that's happened over the last year with this bipartisan stuff, and if people don't stop and say, "Yes, I might have a difference of opinion, but let's all try to come together," and instead of like just saying, "Well, you know, I'm going to vote this way because that's what the, that's how we vote. like," and I think that you're right. I think there are people hanging on to their last leg. So there's got to be another stimulus package. And I think that, you know, as Ace, you said, with mortgages, you eventually have to pay that money back. So is it going to be at the end of a mortgage? Is it going to be due? Like, people don't know. They ask me, Daddy, if I haven't paid my mortgage payments, are they going to all of a sudden say it's due at a certain time? And it's, There's so many uncertainties. And I just think that maybe sometimes it's good for people to try to get together and, and and try to help figure this out, because it's not, I, I don't know how, dealing, you Yeah, know, I don't want martial law, but truthfully, if you're in another country, you, like, you just can't, you have to kind of adhere to those policies. And I just see a lot of things coming up. I'm hoping that the virus, because we know how to treat it better, uh, alleviates, but it's just, Good for a conversation. And maybe one of the things that we'll do on this radio station is have a Zoom meeting where we all can talk if I can keep it civil. Um, it's just a lot to think about.
0: Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank, NA.